0: The last few weeks we've been talking about um, things in the Bible that people talk about, we listen to, we know to be true sometimes, but we don't put them into practice. Um, last week we did some cleaning out at our house. We were rearranging some things and just occasionally things need to get taken out, thrown out, uh, put aside for a yard sale or, oh, I forgot we had one of those, right? Just one of those kind of weeks and um we were digging through some stuff downstairs, and we found our DVD collection. You remember DVDs, right? Those things that we used to put in DVD players. You remember? Well, we have a collection of them. We forgot we had a collection of them. And we found, I found an interesting thing in our DVD collection. There were the movies and all that. But I found this, um, this DVD that was stage one of Taibo. Y'all remember Taibo? Was it Billy Blanks? That was the guy, Billy Blanks. And it was Taekwondo and boxing together. And it was this video. And you, you, it, got you, it got you in shape and you know, all that. And here's the thing. I, I, I saw the video, the DVD. And my first thought was, man, I remember. I watched that thing one time. Now, notice I didn't participate. I didn't do it multiple times. It was one time. And what I realized is it really gave me no benefit. Just watching it. Anybody ever bought anything and then didn't use it at all? Let me see your hands, all right? That's what I want you to do. I want you to turn around to people around you. Tell them something you bought one time and then you didn't use at all, all right? Now would be good, all right? If it takes you ten minutes to think of it, then we're going to move on past it, all right? Something you or your family bought and we never never really used, All right? <laughs> Yeah, all right. We're gonna share on each other. All right. The good all's having especially good one over here. I heard already. Was it Lester? Who bought it? You? You did. Kim bought a shake weight, and hasn't used that. Used that yet? Congratulations, Kim. Anybody else? Somebody wanna share something you bought and you didn't use? Suspenders. All right. A treadmill. At least those things are cheap, right? They don't cost that much money to not use them, right? Anybody else? Baby gates, all right? Here's the thing. If you don't ever use the things, it don't matter if you have them or not, right? And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this principle from Scripture, and it comes from the book of James. And the book of James says, Do not merely listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves do what it says and the idea is that it doesn't matter how much of the bible you know it doesn't matter how many things you understand it doesn't matter how many times you go to church it doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to even how many you stay awake through all of it what matters is are you doing what you know to be true are you applying what you know And what we've talked about over the last few weeks is this, that application is everything. That application makes all the difference. And this week we're going to continue. Over the last few weeks we've talked about forgiveness and we've talked about sharing your faith with people. and We've talked about um, living generously. And this week we're going to talk about confession or confessing. And the life app that I'm going to encourage you that Scripture teaches that you need to be putting into practice is simply to confess. Take your Bibles if you have them. If not, there's some in front of you. Or if you have a, a smartphone, you can look on the YouVersion application. You've got your Bibles, 1 John 1.8. We're going to be looking at 1 John 1.8 through chapter 2, verse 2. Book of First John, anybody want to guess who wrote the book of First John? John, right? I mean that's kind of a trick question because when I ask you who wrote the book of Ephesians, the Ephesians didn't write it, right? Paul wrote it, but the first John was written by John. Who was John? John was a disciple of Jesus, right? In the gospel that he wrote, he refers to himself most often as the one Jesus loved. Um, he didn't name himself because authors back then didn't name themselves when they wrote books and had them in it. So he is the one Jesus loved. He was one of Jesus' inner circle. He, many people consider him to be Jesus' best friend. He and Peter and, and his brother James were in that mix. And he's writing in 1 John to a group of people and trying to explain some things that they had misunderstood or that the culture was teaching them or churches were teaching that were just wrong. And specifically in the first couple of chapters, he's confronting misconceptions about sin. We're not going to talk about this one. But the first misconception he kind of tackles is that you can become a Christian and then you can sin all you want to. That you can just go and have a good time and sin all you want to because, hey, I became a Christian. I can do whatever I want. he says, listen, if that's your attitude, then you need to check your commitment to Christ. But then he's going to counteract two other ones this morning that I want to talk about and then talk about how it leads into discussing our need to confess. Verse 8 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not just for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. A few things I want us to understand as we look through this passage of Scripture today and how it relates to us confessing. The first thing I want us to understand is that every one of us has a problem. That we are sinful by both nature and by choice. That we all have an issue, a problem. Right there in verse 8, what he says is if we claim to be without sin. A better understanding of that is that the way it's originally written is if we claim to have no sin. Now, the reason that's important is because that understanding, what he's saying is that every one of us is born with a nature that is given to sin. That we have this kind of underlying problem where we want to sin all the time. That what we have in our lives is this kind of, um, it's just something that is, inherent in all of us. Now, the uh, classical theological term for it is original sin. What that simply means is that every one of us, after Adam sin, were born with this nature. Now, our society doesn't really believe that. If you listen to them, they'll say things like everybody's really good at heart. Well, that sounds nice, but That's not what the Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that every one of us is rotten at heart. That we're bad. That there is something wrong with us. Our society has decided we're not going to use those kind of words. We're not going to use the word sin. We're not going to talk about a sin nature. We're going to talk about dysfunction or disease or mistakes or missteps or failures. In fact, there are people trying to get the word sin out of our vocabulary. A few years ago, the Oxford Junior Dictionary just removed "sin," and they asked somebody, asked them, "Well, why did you remove it?" And they said, "Well, for two reasons. One is it has fallen into disuse. That sounds like what my Tybo DVD, right? It has fallen into disuse." He said, so "The other reason is, is because the current generation no longer finds the word relevant. It doesn't matter what our society, our culture." our churches, what our teachers, politicians teach and preach. Scripture is evident that every one of us in this room has a problem with sin. It is part of our nature. And it has been from the moment we were alive. I have the most precious 18-month-old little girl in the world. She is cute, she loves to cuddle, she is sweet, she'll blow me kisses, but guess what has started happening? When she doesn't get her way, here's the thing about it, she knows what she wants, and she doesn't like it when she doesn't get it, all right? So she has started, my precious 18-month-old little girl, has started throwing some fits. Now, I know y'all look at her and think that could never happen, all right? I have witnessed it, all right? And the simple reality is she, as a precious 18-month-old little girl, sometimes reacts with the sin nature that is inside of her. Now, if that happens with an 18-month-old little girl, you know I see it in my five-year-old boy. Any of you got some boys out there? Amen? Amen. We see it there. I know some of you out there have have elementary school age kids we see it there right parents it's all right to point at your kids and say i see it in you it's all right anybody got teenagers out there anybody see some sin nature in your teenagers out there all right any of you kids ever see your parents get upset when they shouldn't see your hands all right your parents aren't going to hurt you when you get home all right just tell them the preacher said it was okay to do that here's the point we And you know this from personal experience. There are just moments in your life when you're drawn to do something contrary to the will of God, even though you know the right thing to do. And so Scripture says if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And then it tells us not only that we are sinful by nature, but by choice. Verse 10 says this, if we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. The hymn there is God, by the way. And His Word has no place in our lives. Let me ask you a question. Is God a liar? No. Never. And so if the choice is we have sinned, we do personally commit sins, or God is a liar, I think we know the answer there. We personally sin. Now, the point of all this is to say that we have a problem, and it's an ongoing problem. This is not something that once we accepted Christ, we never had to worry about again because we will never sin again. You and I, on a consistent, continual, ongoing basis, have a difficulty with sins in our lives. And the question is, well, how do you handle it? That's the real question. The key is how we handle it. And there are three really... Um, ways you can handle it. There are probably more than that, but these are the three main ones. And the first one is just to ignore it. Maybe not completely ignore but minimize it or rationalize it or just learn to live with it or just think it's not that bad or cover it up or conceal it, maybe even from yourself. You just try to ignore it. It's like you've got a little box over here and you just think, I'll just stuff that in the box and I'll close the lid. Nobody will ever know the difference or... I'll just put that in a separate folder and I'll stick it at the back where I'm the only one that has access or I'll just erase that document when I'm done with it or that website. Nobody has to know. nobody needs to know is this is it just me it doesn't affect anybody else it's just me I, I'll just hide it or or you blame other people for. It. well, she started it. if she hadn't done what she did, I would not have done what I did. so we blame others. Or we think, I could have done worse. I mean, I've seen people that have done worse than that. I'm not that bad. We try to ignore it. That's just how I'm made. She knew that when she married me. That's just who I am. The second way that we sometimes deal with our sin is we just try harder. We punish ourselves or we beat ourselves up or we wallow in guilt. We We just say, if I just work harder, if I just do more, if I just Make a better effort at it, it'll go away. Back in Jesus' day, there were some uh, rabbis, teachers, that were really serious about following the Lord. and, And they read some of the rules in the Old Testament, and they were determined not to break any of the rules. And one of the rules in the Old Testament was, you shall not commit adultery. And so these rabbis just determined that if they never saw a woman, they couldn't commit adultery. So as they walked around sometimes, out of the corner of their eye, while they're walking down the street, they would catch a glimpse of a woman. And you know what they would do? Close their eyes. And keep walking. Now, there's a problem when you're on crowded streets and you're walking with your eyes closed. We see this today in people that don't walk with their eyes closed, but they've got their phone in front of their face, right? Anybody ever see that, do that, understand that, All right? So these rabbis were literally falling all the time, running into carts, running into buildings, running into things they shouldn't have been running into. They were constantly hitting things. They earned the nickname, the bruised and bleeding rabbis. Because they were so determined that they were not going to sin. They just try harder. We, people in our, our culture will say things like, you just got to have more willpower got to be more self-controlled. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But it comes from God, not from you kind of manning up and saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. You may uh, remember the old children's stories about Frog and Toad. You remember those, Frog and Toad? There's one about Frog and Toad with some cookies. Frog and Toad get this big box of cookies and they just start eating. Gradually. One of them looks at the other and says, I really think we need to stop eating these cookies. I believe we've had too many already. It's like they went to the store and Oreos were on sale and they came home and got a glass of milk and they just started eating. And the other one said, I agree with that. We've got to stop eating these cookies, but man, I don't think I can stop. We're going to have to do something to stop. them.' they said, I'll tell you what, we'll put it in a box. So they put it in a box and they set it off to the side. The other one said, the only problem with that is if we put it in a box, I can open the lid and I can still eat the cookies. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll tie a string around the top of it, and we'll make it real tight. He said, here's the problem with that. If you put it in a string around the top on the top of the box, I can still undo the string, open the box, and eat the cookies. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll put it at the top of a tree. We'll put it in a box. We'll close the lid. We'll tie a string on it. We'll put it in the top of the tree. And the guy said, I'm sorry, or the toad said, I'm sorry. I got a ladder at home, and all I got to do is climb the ladder, get the box down, untie it, open it up. I can eat the cookies. And the other one said, well, the only other thing I know to do is this. And he got the box. He opened it up and he said, anybody that wants some, come get it. And gradually, birds come down and they eat all the cookies. And at the end, the other one looks at him and says, well, now we don't have any cookies. And the other one says, yeah, but we got a lot of willpower. Got a lot of chance to not do it now. You can't just try Harder. The only real way to handle it is to confess it, is to name it, is to own it, is to admit it. Verse 9 of chapter 1 says, If we confess our sins, that word really means just agree with or say together. It literally means that you just say, Okay, God, I agree that I have this sin. It says that we must. Confess it to the Lord. Now, here's what I want to do with the time that we've got left. I want to talk briefly about the fact that most of what we think is confession isn't confession. Because true confession always leads to change. Many of us know about, uh, even if we didn't grow up in the Catholic tradition, about um, The Catholic practice of confession and that you do something wrong, you go in, there's a priest sitting in a booth and there's a screen in between you and uh, Father, it's been so long since my last confession and I have many sins. And then you tell the priest what your sins are. And then you go back out and live life. And after a little while, you come back and you confess to the priest what your sins are. Now, in Protestant or Baptist tradition, we may not have that formal kind of confession thing. But we have our own kind of thing. And it's that we sometimes at night we'll lay in bed, not every night, but every so often we'll lay in bed and think, man, I've messed up some and I need to confess this. And so we say, God, God, I messed up. I messed up a lot and I messed up here and I messed up there. And, oh, I probably messed up in other places. I don't know. So forgive me of all my sins. And then you go to sleep. And the problem with both of those forms of confession is there not the first step in what confession in Scripture is all about? Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, says that for either that Catholic tradition or for our more uh, our Protestant tradition, our Baptist tradition, he says what it basically boils down to is we think we're going to God and we're taking our bucket filled with sin and we're dumping out our sin so that we can go back out and fill our bucket up with sin some more. God forgive me. I'm done with that. All right, I've got an empty bucket. Now I can do whatever I want to do. And that's not the point of confession in Scripture. Confession in Scripture is the first step towards a bigger thing, which is repentance. And repentance is about saying, I'm no longer going to do this, I'm walking in a new direction. And so if you're coming to God and saying, God forgive me of this, and you know in your heart that you're already thinking of the next time you'll be able to do whatever that is, that is not true confession. If you're going to the Lord and you're saying, Lord, forgive me of this, but the thought that I'm going to try to do something different, well, now that is crazy. You might as well go ahead and say to the Lord, Lord, I messed up today. You know what I did, and I'm planning on doing it again, so I just want you to know about it. True confession means that you have come to the place in your life where whatever it is that is sinful, that is contrary to the will of God, you are ready to move past it and in a different direction. And you're saying, God, I don't want to do it ever again. I'm not saying that if you've confessed sometime and then you mess up in the future, that that means the confession wasn't good. What I'm saying is, unless your heart is driven towards something different, it's not real confession. It's just playing games. True confession leads to change. There's a good old uh, King James kind of word that says that, that talks about besetting sin. And a besetting sin is that sin that is just all too familiar. You, you've struggled with it. It's individually marked for you, but it's been your struggle for your entire walk with the Lord. And for some of you, you have one of those, and you're okay having it. You think of it as your one kind of area that you're not going to give to the Lord. We, uh, in Sunday school last week, we talked about the, uh, um, kind of the tradition that is told about some uh, Irishmen that were baptized back several hundred years ago. And as they would go down into the water, the Irishmen would keep one arm out as they were baptized. And it was their fighting arm. And basically they were declaring, I'm going to let my entire body, except my fighting arm, be dedicated to the Lord. Well, there are some of you in this room that have a part of your life that physically you didn't hold that part out when you got baptized. But you've held on to it as your little piece that God doesn't have access to. It it may be... area of morality in your life it may be an area of honesty in your life it may be a business area where there are just transactions you have to do that god understands that that's the way this business works it may be financially in your life well god understands where we are right now as a country as a nation and he understands that that right now i just can't give like i'm supposed to give to what he wants me to do confession is when you get to the point where you say I ain't got anything off limits to the Lord. You can have it all. And here's the thing that we often forget is that confession brings real benefits. You see, we don't confess most of the time because we're scared. And we think the the benefits of keeping it concealed are better than the benefits of confessing. But that's simply not true. I mean, it tells us here in chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 basically says, if we confess, God is faithful. Now, in Scripture, when it talks about God being faithful, he is specifically faithful to himself, to His character and to the covenant he has made with his people. And so as we stand here today, even as we're thinking about the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, what we understand that he is faithful to the covenant he made with us when he promised us on the cross, when he died for us, that if we accepted that he would forgive our sins. What it's saying is when we confess our sins to God, he is putting into practice what he has already done for us. And he is saying, you are not guilty for that. But then it says, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll cleanse us. He'll make us clean. Anybody ever raised a child that didn't like to take baths? My boys sometimes will come in and they've been playing outside and they are filthy. Eli, Luke, let's go get in the bath, go get a shower. I don't need a bath or a shower. Yeah, I took one two days ago. You need a bath. I'll take one tomorrow. No, you're going to take one now, right? And for for a boy, for a kid, sometimes they come in, they got dirt on their face and all that. Well, I just rub it off. I'll be all right. Many of us, when it comes to having our lives cleansed, are like those kids that don't want to take a bath. It's better for us. It's best for us, but we fight against it. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do today because this series is all about application. Because I'm going to ask you to simply confess. What do you in your life have that you need to confess? Part of the reason that I wanted to do this app on this day is because we are celebrating the Lord's Supper what we remember in that is that the Lord has loved us so much that he gave himself for us and yet scripture also teaches that when we come to this table and we celebrate this remembrance ceremony there ought to be a moment of asking the Lord to inspect us and to know us and to cleanse us and there ought to be moments of confession from our heart now let me just tell you this The interesting thing is, confession in the New Testament isn't all about confessing to the Lord. In fact, there are only a few times that in the New Testament when we are told to confess. This is one. There's another one in James. And in the book of James, it tells us who to confess to. And it says, confess to one another. And so let me tell you what part of your confession may be it may be making things right. You may remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? I'm pretty convinced that in heaven right now, Zacchaeus has got people coming up to him talking about it. And he's like, could you not sing the song? I know the song, all right? Everybody that sees me sings the song. Let's move on. But you remember Zacchaeus? He was a guy that wanted to see the Lord. He went up, saw the sycamore tree, climbed the sycamore tree, wanted to see Jesus, saw Jesus. Jesus saw him, said, come, I'm going to go to your house. They went and they had had dinner. Zacchaeus comes out. And Zacchaeus comes out and he announces to everyone that something amazing has happened inside. And uh, now, what was Zacchaeus' job? He was what? He was a tax collector, right? Now, he wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief, the man. Top dog, tax collector. All right, and so tax collectors in that day were hated. I mean, if you remember in the New Testament, it says that Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. This is how much people hated tax collectors. Sinners didn't even want to be associated with them. Let's put them in a different category. All right, we're the sinners; they're the tax collectors. So as Zacchaeus comes out, and he's getting ready to announce, goes, everybody listen, this is an amazing thing. I have met Jesus. I have been saved. He did an unbelievable thing. I am so excited. Woo! Y'all have a nice day. I'll see you. Is that what he does? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, man, I have done some bad I mean, y'all know some of the stuff I've done. I've done some bad. And listen, Jesus, he has saved me, and that is over, and that is all in the past. Everybody, amen with me. That's in the past. I'll see you later. Is that what happens? Part of his confession was making right what he had done to other people. I mean, when he comes out and he says, listen, I've met with Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. And right now, I'm going to give a bunch of my money away to the poor. And if I've ever cheated you. Now, this is at the moment when people started raising their hands. Like, I got you, Zacchaeus. I got, I got the money right here. You want me to figure it out? All right. This is when the accountants in the audience started hearing those money signs and started writing it down. If I've cheated you. Now, in the Old Testament, it told them that if they had stolen anything from somebody in the community, they were to give that money back and they were going to give it back with 10%. Kind of as a, I'm sorry I stole from you. All right? The I'm sorry tip. Okay? So 10%. And so... Uh, So Zacchaeus comes out and that's what he says, right? He says, listen, I'm going to give your money back. And I'm going to, listen to this, this is amazing. I'm going to give you 10% more. Is that what he says? No. What does he say? I'm going to give you your money back times four. When it's time to really confess, your heart is so devoted to the Lord, you're going to do whatever it takes to make things right. And so for you, when I ask you what you need to do to confess this week, you may need to make a phone call this afternoon. You may need to write an email or a letter. You may need to find somebody in the sanctuary that you've said something about or thought about or did something to and you need to find them in here. You may need to come and just pray at this altar to the Lord to give you strength. You may need to schedule a lunch or a dinner with somebody that part of your confessing is confessing it to the Lord, but it's also confessing it to someone else. And here's the thing. Even if you've got one of those secret sins in your life that you don't think is really affecting anybody, you may need to find somebody that you can share it with that can help you in being accountable. So let me ask you, what do you need to confess? Do you need to confess greed in your heart that you just care a lot about what you got? Or what you don't have? Or that you're so concerned about every last penny that it stops you from following the Lord in the way that you should? Do you have envy in your heart about what your friends have or your neighbors have or what uh, somebody down the street has? Do you have dishonesty in your heart where you have a pattern of not telling the full truth or telling outright lies? Are you judgmental about people? Do you make assumptions about people without getting the full facts? Do you assume the worst about people when you hear things about them? Are you just... Ornery. You know what that word means? Anybody know what ornery means? You're just grumpy all the time. And there are some people I'm convinced think that their spiritual gift is being ornery. All right? And you need to confess that and say, I'm just ornery. I'm just mad. I'm just angry. I'm upset. Are you a complainer? Is bitterness a part of your life? Is your. Now, this is one that you need to. Write down somewhere, parents, and put on a shelf somewhere for about three weeks from now and ask the question, is my schedule too full right now for me to adequately hear from God? It's pretty easy right now in the summer for some of us to say, well, you know, our schedule's not that bad, but once school starts and sports starts and all that, is my schedule too full to hear from God or do what I'm supposed to be? Are you in a self-serving career? Are you doing something consistently that you're trying to serve yourself? Are your relationships things where you're taking advantage of people? Is there moral sin in your life? Is there sexual sin in your life? Is this private area on the internet or movies that you need to confess and move past? Here's the question: What do you need to confess?